All right. Today we've got Nabil Nazar. Nabil, thanks so much for making the time. No, thanks, Joe. It's been uh, difficult getting the time zone right, but uh, but glad to do it after all these many attempts. Indeed, indeed. Hey, uh, first question, same as always. Uh, what were you doing before you started INSEAD and what have you been up to for the last 20 years? Uh, not much before INSEAD. I was, I think, one of the younger ones. I had almost three and a half years of experience all in uh, one company in Lebanon at the time. Uh, I was doing brokerage and trading on the U.S. markets. So it was quite an exciting time because it was, you know, the the dot-com boom and then the bubble burst and then after you know it, literally when when you know the dust was settling that's when i decided to do my mba so they were very exciting times but i mean nothing much to say from the pre at time um after NSEAD, I and, and how did you let, let's actually i'm curious about that how, how did you you know end up there what, what what were you like what was your education background before that so I was studying in Beirut at the American University of Beirut there. Um, I grew up in Jordan, uh, but I went to okay. Beirut to, to do my undergrad there in business. And I had is that, is that a normal is that a normal path for Jordanian you know uh, high achievers to go to go to, to go to Lebanon? The the that university, the AUB, is one of the oldest universities. It's around 150 years old. Um, one of the most prominent and prestigious universities in the region. So yeah, it's quite diverse. You'd find people from all nationalities going and studying there. Cool. All right. Um, and I loved Lebanon so much, I decided to stick around. Uh, so after my four years at, uh, at the AUB, I, uh, I worked basically in, in, in that company, which is part of kind of Societe Generale. It got acquired by Societe Generale later on. Um, so yeah, and that's when I decided to go to INSEAD to kind of... Uh, see how, you know, I kind of got bored of what I was doing and uh, let's try something new. Um, and then after NCAD, I became <laughs> a chronic job hopper. So I, uh, I started with private banking uh, with Merrill Lynch. Um, I realized, nah, I, I didn't do my MBA at NCAD to become a relationship manager. So then after that, um, I went hold on, to... Hold on, for, for, the, for the, those non-finance laymen among us, what, what does private banking mean? Wealth management, so you deal with okay. high net worth okay. individuals and institutions, and you know invest their money in the and in, in you know the markets, public equities, fixed income, alternative investments, funds, and so on. Thank you. But it was I felt it was job more for you know um, more of a relationship job than using my brain job. So I just felt that the MBA would go to waste doing that. Um, then I went to Jordan. I got a job there with a pharmaceuticals company that was planning to go public on the London Stock Exchange. So I was uh, part of the team that took the company public. I was working in the finance department then doing, you know, budgeting and planning for the group. Um, and it did go public. Uh, that's, uh, that's a bit of a stretch, though. You, you went from like trading to managing money to like, you know, I guess what would be called corporate finance or, or yes. whatever, whatever the term that's. So it's, it's in the same, you know, general area, but that, that, that's a big leap, right? No, and, and, and you'll see it, it gets even weirder um, with, with every <laughs> jump. And, and, cool. and this, this is it. Like when I jumped, I realized it wasn't that I didn't like the company. I didn't like the entire thing of what I was doing. So I would jump something completely different. Um, and, and so, you know, this was way different and the company did go public. It was actually the first, uh, Arab company to list on the London stock exchange. It was the cool. first generic pharmaceuticals company in the world to list on the London stock exchange. And now it's actually a FTSE 100 company. So, uh, so I, I really, uh, um, 
loved that company and loved what we achieved, but I only stayed for one year there. Like two months after the IPO, I decided to uh, move on. Um, and basically the excitement of the IPO, I liked it so much that I decided to uh, work for an investment bank in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. Um, and it was a regional investment bank there and was just doing you know IPOs, private placements. And I did that for, for a few years in Riyadh. And then I kind of came to the realization that I'm not a guy in the service industry. I'm not somebody who's like into just, you know, talking to clients and everything. I decided that I want to be the client. So um, at that time, I got approached by a defense company in Jordan. Um, it's actually <laughs> the company is uh, has an industrial complex, an industrial defense complex. There are It's a group of companies and it's actually owned by the Jordanian Armed Forces. So it's kind of a quasi-governmental institution, if you want. And I went there as a as a as a group CFO, um, and what was interesting is because it was run by the army, um, they didn't have the right people managing these different companies. So they set up a unit that with people who come from kind of a, you know commercial background to help manage it. And so I went there to help set up the whole finance and investment function, and that was quite an exciting job. Um, the board of the company to, was actually appointed to the extent by this, this this is interesting so this the, to the extent you can even share what they did are these guys like like making products and by products yes. i mean like you know weapons uh to be used by the, themselves as well as other countries or is there is there something yes yes um uh, we had different companies that manufactured anything from armored vehicles to bulletproof helmets and vests to RPGs uh, to night vision goggles mm. to and each one was like almost a joint venture with an international defense company. Um, so it was and that's why to to get in you required one of the highest security clearance. Sure, sure. That's wow, wow. So uh, what year? What year are we talking about when you you joined the? Uh... This was around two thousand and nine to two thousand and thirteen, um, uh-huh. and it was really really exciting. Um, I liked it, um, but then it was in Jordan, and I mean Jordan is technically where I grew up, but I just felt that the the GCC, the Gulf region, had bigger things to offer in terms of what you work on. You know. So then I got approached by a family office in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. Um, and it's the family office of the family that owns the IKEA business in Saudi Arabia. So I went there to join as the chief investment officer. And uh, five years after that, I became the CEO of the family office. So I actually stayed there for eight years. Um, and that was really quite exciting. From, from 13 to what must have been 21? Exactly, yes. Yes. Mm. And then... Um, Eight years in the family office space. Um, well, t- t- but talk about this. Talk about this. So, so what, what were you? Do- what, what is? What, I, I think I understand what a family office is. But what, what, what does it mean to be the CEO of the family office? You know, what, what, what sorts of things were this was this particular office doing? So, a typical family office invests the the let's call it the money that comes from the operating business. In this case, money from the IKEA business. They would put it and want to diversify it into other investments that are not related to the to the operating business. Um, so basically, in the family office, you would allocate money to different kind of investments. Um, 
public equities, fixed income like you know bonds, uh, and alternative investments. So it could be private equity funds, uh, hedge funds, private credit, and so on. And you can also do direct investments in other companies. So you would be a minority or a majority, uh, uh, you know, investor in anything that's unrelated to to your business. And we had things in in the venture capital space, in the automotive space, in the retail space, in FMCG. Um, there were like maybe 10, 15 businesses that we had direct stakes in. So in this particular family office, because of the entrepreneurial nature of the founder, um, we actually did a lot of direct investments, which is not that common for a family office. Um, you, you, most family offices, they would be doing more passive investments. We were doing more active investments. And it probably is quite similar to what you're doing at Merrill early on, where you're, you're effectively managing somebody else's money. Um, but my, my, my question is, how much of it is, is uh, are you coming up with the strategies and, and the goals? Or how much of it is, is the, the, you know, the family saying, hey, we want to be you know, risk on, risk off, whatever it is? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I joined, they actually didn't have a family office. I set it up. And but prior to that, they were doing a lot of investments, but in a very haphazard way. So one of the main things was to set up kind of an investment policy and kind of put boundaries on what you invest in, what your target returns are, what your risk profile is, what are your financial objectives, what are your cash flow objectives. Um, and, and so you start investing in a more structured way, in a more disciplined way. And I think this is what made the distinction between what they wanted to do and what they should do. And you would notice that it took some time for them to kind of transition from that mentality of we invest in anything that comes on our desk that we like to know we have a structured approach. And if it doesn't fit in the structure or the, or the policy that we want, then even if we like it, we shouldn't invest in it. Yeah, when I think of Nabil, the first words that come to mind are discipline and structure. So that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, it's funny. In, in our last reunion, somebody asked me, they're like, you can't really be like this at work, can you? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I am, um, although it does surface at times. So yeah, the Nabil that you know does surface at times, but he's quite different at work. Um, and, cool. So, and, so we're we're at in 2021. Uh, what have you been up to since then? I uh, I moved to Dubai, uh, as you can see. Um, and yeah. By the way, to the, to the listener, there's there's the, the beautiful. What building is that? Burj Khalifa. Yeah, it's 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 he's uh, he's he's definitely peacocking with his his <laughs> Zoom background. He's got the, he's got the big building in the background. He must have a lovely view from wherever he he lives or works. Yeah. So. Um, so basically, I moved to Dubai. I'm working for uh, an Emirati family. Um, pretty much, it's it's also a mix of a family office and operating businesses. So we don't have the the we don't separate in terms of the holding. We don't separate between the operating businesses and the financial investments. So we have both under my my mandate. So I'm the CEO of the group. Um, we're mainly into hospitality hotels. We own two hotels uh, uh, in in Dubai. Um, hopefully, if you stay, uh, you're more than welcome to stay. We'll give you a nice discount. <laughs> Be careful. There's uh, all all of like the four or five people who listen to this podcast may be asking you for a discount too. So uh. <laughs> yeah, that's that. The, anyone is welcome. 
um, <laughs> and and then we have real estate businesses, we have retail businesses, and then we have the typical family office financial investments where we invest in in uh, in you know global markets basically. Um, and when I joined, the bulk of the concentration was on the operating business, um, and I tried to again introduce more discipline into what we should be doing to grow forward because. Uh, the kind of, you know, as families grow, when you have dividends coming in, you know, for one generation, let's say it's being divided by, you know, among three or four people, that's fine. But then when the next generation comes and there may be, you know, 12, 15 people, that dividend when split between them is not enough. So you need to always make sure you're planning ahead. You're growing the assets in a way that allow the family to maintain the standard of living, especially for families who rely on dividends from the business as a, basically as, as a, their source of income. So it's a lot of, you know, working with the family on, on growing the business, advising them on what they should be doing. And, uh, you know, to, to well, add- that, that's actually, so is, this is a couple questions. Is, is this effectively still a family office? You're, 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 you're at now just, just an Emirati family, not a it is. It is a. Well, I mean, it's a hybrid between a family office and the holding company. I would say. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, so th- th- thank you for that. Now, the second question, though, is you're, uh, and I- I'm just basing on you know anecdotes I've heard or maybe maybe vignettes I've read is that this you know this generational problem with wealth. You know, the first generation makes it, the second generation, spends it, the third generation loses it. I mean, presumably. You're, you're, a lot of it is, is kind of like you know management of these generations of convincing these people who probably have less discipline than their parents or grandparents to spend even less money, which is you know so how much of that is your job? Well, earlier last year, the patriarch, the founder of, of um, the family basically passed away. So that added a whole new set of complexities in that you have now a succession happening. And um, and basically, well, I, I don't know if you've seen the show Succession. Yeah, yeah. But I'm 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 living it. So um, which which character are you? <laughs> um, well, given that I'm not part of the family, I would say that makes me maybe uh, Shiv's husband. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> oh, oh, you're Tom. Oh, you're Tom. So you married into the. Yeah. Okay, we'll stop that. That analogy will break down pretty quickly. Um, but, but the 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 kind of where I was going, and I, I've lost my train of thought. Uh, where I was going with that question was like, are are you getting pressure? I mean, the the other side of my question: Are you getting pressure from these you know second and third generation people of Hey, uh, I need a bigger dividend to to do whatever it is that I want to do. So once you get more aggressive with these investments, um, the short answer is yes. I think uh-huh. um, what, what makes it more complicated is when you have a big, you know, Arab families are quite bigger than um, um, Western families. So in this case, we have 15 heirs um, who are now, you know, going to become shareholders. So, you know, with 15 people. Who are the, the, have... the next generation below the, the patriarch who, who just passed. Yes. And presumably they have children too. So it, yes. just, it just fans out. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. So, so getting everyone to agree on a strategy um, and to determine, you know, the level of involvement, uh, who should be involved, who shouldn't be involved, because you know everybody wants to be involved, doesn't mean everybody is qualified to be involved. And this is, 
you know, this is a very common problem in almost every single family office and family business. It's determining the level of involvement, agreeing on the strategy. And like you said, yes, by the third generation, some people tell you, no, you know what, if I'm not involved, I, I, I don't want to be part of this. Give me my money. Let me do my own thing. Um, but it's important to preserve, and in the UAE, they take this very seriously, to preserve these family businesses that have been built over decades. They don't want them to be you know, dismantled after some succession event happens. Um, and part of my role is to make sure this doesn't happen, working with the family to hopefully create a sustainable um, uh, holding company that's able to meet their financial needs and meet their aspirations at the same time. Well, yeah, that's um, that sounds like uh, much easier said than done, shall we say? Yeah, I, I would say it requires um, at th- this this stage, and I, I think it, you know, it's for a lot of people. Maybe at at our level, it's the same, but for me, definitely, it requires more EQ than it does IQ. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. How big is your team? Like, how many? How many of their like you of of the let's call them the Toms, not not part of the family who are there, you know, helping manage the money for them? No, it's a very small team because for each company we have its own set of management teams. So at the holding level, it's uh, I like very lean teams. I I uh, I I don't know. Maybe it's me being used to relatively smaller sized companies smaller size in terms of the number of people i i enjoy having you know smaller teams that are doing everything as opposed to bigger teams where you have more division of labor let's call it and you have all these silos um so so it is quite a lean team um and it's been that even even with my previous employer he keep telling me hire more people i'm like no i, I like i like a lean structure and that also allows you to tap into consultants or advisors that are specialized in whatever issue you're tackling, as opposed to yeah. having a bunch of generalists at, you know, because uh, I'm a generalist, right? Like, as I told you, I've been hopping from one job to the other, and each one is so different, you know, from defense to pharma to investment banking, private banking. I'm pretty much a jack of all trades. But at my level, I don't need to be an expert at anything. I need to understand everything. And in our group, this is this is what we have. You know, we have direct businesses that we own and operate in different sectors. We have uh, financial investments in funds, in, in, in the stock market, in bonds. So having somebody who is a very, you know, specialist, he would be good maybe at one thing, but wouldn't be comfortable being involved in everything else. So the way I think about it, I I get specialists whenever I need them for any particular transaction that we need or any let's call it assignment that we that we're working on. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, last question, um, kind of a two-parter. Uh, is there anything that that we as the community can do to help you, uh, you know, personally, professionally, and vice versa? What are you able to do to help help us, the community? Okay, so I guess both of them are are a bit related because what I'm about to mm-hmm. say, I don't know if they're helping me or if I'm helping them, but I would argue it's them helping me. So as you know, I um, I love investing with with uh, our fellow uh, classmates, and um, so far I've invested with four of our classmates, and I would argue that they are helping me because. Um, 
the checks that I put are not big enough for them to care whether I put that check or not. But uh, still, I enjoy investing with my friends. And it's not like, oh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm expecting them to, to, you know, turn this into something big. But I, I really feel happy that I'm investing and supporting a friend. And it makes me feel proud of what they're doing. And I feel proud that I'm part of their journey. Um, so, so to answer your question, yeah, if, if somebody is, uh, has an investment opportunity and is willing to take on a small check, I would be very happy to, uh, to pitch in. Um, and, uh, like I said before, uh, you know, in Dubai, I love seeing people who are passing by Dubai, whether it's, they're coming to Dubai and, or just, you know, passing through. And, uh, luckily, unlike other places I've been in, where almost nobody passes, aka let's say in Jeddah and Saudi, um, but in Dubai it's it's a hub. And honestly, in the last two years, I've seen so many of our classmates who have been passing through. And anytime you're coming, um, just you know let me know. We take you out for dinner, uh, lunch, whatever. Like I work my schedule around yours because I I just you know I enjoy seeing and catching up with with uh, our classmates. All right, so I heard you say uh, whoever comes to Dubai gets a free place to stay, some free food, and if they play their cards right, they'll leave with a big check. Uh, does, that, does that sound about right? Yeah, we can always promise that doesn't mean I'll deliver, uh -huh. but yeah, sure. <laughs> amazing, amazing. This has been a very productive – you might see me very shortly, Nabil. This sounds like a great place to, to, Joe, to go. Joe, you, you, you are most welcome because although you're, you're not a classmate who I invested with, but um, – you know you've you've helped me in that respect and introduced me to a, to a few funds so i am grateful because one of the ones you've introduced me to has become actually a friend um so i'm grateful to you for that and, and honestly oh. the way you you openly and we hadn't been in touch the way you just willingly and openly and you know you went above and beyond uh, in in helping so uh so thank you for that. Uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna give me goosebumps and make me cry. Thank you, Nabil, very much. It was, this is a lot of fun. Really good talking. Ciao. Bye, bye, Joe. Thanks.